Jenny Joy and this is Cooperative Journal, where I spotlight the stories of how people are collectivizing to meet their needs locally and globally beyond the extractive economic system. Established in 1972, AIR is the first artist cooperative gallery for women in the United States. They maintain an exhibition space in Brooklyn, New York, and showcase the work of hundreds of women artists each year. They also offer ways for members to build a support network and engage with the community through public open calls, fellowships, workshops, lectures on feminism, and discussion groups. Their multimedia exhibitions have explored themes of identity politics, historical archives, fractals, the symbiotic relationship between our body and environment, and so much more. In this episode, I speak with member Susan Stainman about how AIR has cultivated a space for women artists to be fully autonomous and given a platform in a male-dominated industry. We speak about the history of female oppression in the United States, the lack of representation of women in the art world, benefits of membership like retaining majority of sales and camaraderie, how artists' cooperatives can shift the centralization of wealth in the art industry, which, by the way, is worth more than transportation and agriculture, and tune in for even more wisdom. Hi, Susan. Welcome to the podcast. I have... Had my eyes on Air Gallery for a little while. I have yet to visit it. Art Gallery based in Brooklyn that's women-owned. Um, and it's a co-op, which is very rare to find. Um, I've only been to one in Brazil, actually, uh, that was very interesting. And after that, I started to do more research of like, what are these models here in the States? So I found you guys, and I would love to learn more about what Air Gallery is and uh, the need that the founders felt like they needed to fulfill with this model. Sure. Um, so AIR, so some people call us Air. It is, the, the name does come from both Jane Eyre, the novel, and AIR, as in Artists in Residence. Um, but AIR is a, we are a feminist cooperative artist run art, uh, space. And we do have this, um, permanent exhibition space in Dumbo. And we, um, were founded in 1972. And I think we are the longest continuous running, um, cooperative gallery for women and non-binary artists. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I, I, sometimes I forget like what it was like in 1972, that 1972 was the year that, um, Roe v. Wade was decided and that like, not that long before that women couldn't even have bank accounts in their name, that it was in their husband's name. And so AIR really comes out of second wave feminist concerns of, you know, how do you find a space for yourself? 
as a woman. And in terms of the art world, I think it was something like, at least in New York City, it was something like three to 5% of the solo exhibitions in New York City would have been women. And so there really was not, like there was not that much space. There was not a lot of attention on women artists. And so, um, you know, the 20 women that founded AIR wanted a space where they could have a level playing field um, because there really wasn't anywhere else to go. And so they together, it, it um, yeah, there were 20 of them and they together founded this space and um, to really not only allow for them to have a space to show their work um, and to have critics see that and to have the public see that, but also a space for the greater, you know, community of women artists. Um, so at the beginning, after they were founded, after they started, they would have um, Monday night programs. And so it was like a open program um, for the public that was run by members or other, you know, people in the community. And it would be like, instructions on how to use power tools or, you know, emotional labor, like conversations about emotional labor or, um, you know, like more art focused conversations like abstraction in art or, you know, it was like really run the, run the, is it the gamut, run the gamut of very art focused conversations to concerns for women in general. And um, this was like really if not the only place for that in New York City at the time, oh, you know, one of the very few. And it, it's, it's I, I recently realized that one of our current members, Susan B, she was a student at the time in the 70s and she would come to the, the Monday night programs as a student and then later became a member. So, and like, we would have artists like Louise Bourgeois would also come, you know, so it was like really a place for uh, women artists in New York City um, to, to gather. It's beautiful that it wasn't just an exhibition space, but also a safe space for women to come together to show support and camaraderie between each other and to also have such a wide spectrum of like the level of artistry too, like to have a student be able to learn from Louise Boudreaux, for instance, um, and to be in that same space with each other is really powerful and empowering. Yeah, we have always been like both, you know, like AIR is very much about community and whether that's the community of the New York artists, or whether that's, you know, there's 21 of us now, or whether that's the greater community. Um, from the very beginning to now, we have all of our programming is really about um, the greater community of artists in New York City and beyond. Um, and it's always free to the public. So um, yes, I think if you asked most of the members, like maybe their first, 
thing would be like about being a member. It would be, I have a place to show that's outside of the commercial gallery setting. I can show whatever I want. I can explore my artistic practice to, to my fullest, you know, creative expression and this sense of community. And that's always been there. Yeah. That's so integral. Um, and you were, also mentioning that around the time of the 70s only three to five percent of female artists were actually in exhibitions and I know that there's still challenges that females face um so what are some of those challenges you still see in the art industry yeah I mean it's much better than three to five percent now it's certainly not 50 50 um I, I think, you know, so there is that, that, that it's still not a completely level playing field in terms of the number of solo shows by women or non-binary artists um, as there are by men. Um, uh, and then I think there are some other concerns of caretaking in the sense that society as a whole, like women tend to be the considered the caretakers. And now that could be children, that could be partners, that could be your parents, that there is an expectation of women to be the caretaker. Um, and that can really affect your, an artist's practice, just even in the making, and then certainly also in the career of showing and selling and making a livelihood from one's artistic practice. And I think, and then also for kind of the older generation um, that because for so long, it, there, were, there was so little space for um, women artists in the art world that now we have this older generation that really has not been given the proper kind of their, their due respect for their artistic practice and their work. And um, so I see now in the kind of greater art world, this focus on older women, which is great. It's great that hopefully before they die, uh, you know, some, in some cases, it's not until after they die that they're given the due respect of their work. Uh, some luckily are still alive. I also think that you know, there just needs to be so much more um, like research and um, attention to these women who have had 40, 50 year careers that have not been given the shows, the books, the, the even the curatorial critical uh, attention that they deserve. In AIR's core membership in the New York artists who are the board of directors. We do have a number of artists who are older. And so we think a lot about the importance of legacy, the importance of not waiting for gatekeepers in the art world to kind of turn their attention to these artists. Like how do we as artists own our own legacy? How do we 
take care of our, both the kind of the physical artwork and then also the critical research, the um, making sure we have good documentation, like all of those concerns of an artist and an artist as they get older and wanting to look back over their whole 40 or 50 year career that hasn't necessarily been given the exhibitions and the notoriety that it deserves. And so how do you kind of take that back and also support other artists who are in a similar situation? Um, yeah, I think those are a few of the concerns that I, I think are still true for women and non-binary uh, artists. And I think that that, you know, AIR's founding came out of second wave feminist concerns. And, you know, feminism has grown and changed and been more inclusive. And um, there's a very different perspective on feminism than there was in 1972 at least in the kind of main broader kind of conversations. And I think that as that has changed, so has AIR's concerns around feminism that we have grown um, to think about who is included. When we talk about feminism, who are we including in that conversation? And um, so, you know, we started off as a women, an, a gallery for women, and then we have changed that gender construction, um, our kind of gen the gender language around membership to reflect a, a greater conversation about gender um, as well. Yeah. Yeah, bringing light to artists out, no matter what gender, just outside of like the male dominance that is the art yeah. industry. And what you were saying about like, um, you know, preserving uh, the art and the knowledge that the elders have is so important. Like there needs to be more storytelling around, um, you know, challenges women and non-binary artists have faced and, um, and how they overcame it. And if there's overlapping, then like the newer generations can learn from those stories. Um, and maybe that would be something cool for Eric, for AIR to have available is just like a digital audio archive of all the women artists that have came through the gallery as members um, and like highlights of their career. And yeah, that would be really beautiful. I know we had, we have, so we have our archive is, um, is in Fails Library at NYU. And so that has a lot of papers and stuff about exhibitions. And then over the years, people have done interviews with some members. And I think that there was there was an oral history, someone, someone did a bunch of interviews, but we don't have anything that's like, you know, here's some bit of 
a story from every single member. Like imagine 50 years of stories of, of members who are at all different stages of their careers. And yeah, that would be amazing because I do think, you know, I think that there is a way in which we as society are very youth focused and there's, you know, as I am like getting older, I mean, I'm not like I'm 41, but even as I've gotten into my thirties and forties, my view has changed about, you know, oh, I actually, yeah, I need to be paying attention. I want to be paying attention to what does it mean to get older across the spectrum of like, what does it mean health-wise? What does it mean emotion-wise? What does it mean career-wise? What are the concerns and thinking about that for, and like being able being in AIR and being a multi-generational organization, it is, it's cool to, to listen to stories and to hear not just about what came before, but also about like, what is your lived experience right now as an artist and as a woman or as a Mm non-binary person? Definitely. And also even multiracial uh, cooperative mm-hmm. because that's important too in terms of like lived experience yeah. and relatability um, so you said that AIR currently has 21 members right mm-hmm. um, yeah. what types of artistic mediums are represented yeah and I also I will say that so we have we actually have something like, I don't know, 70 or 80 members in total. So we have different kind of structures of membership. The 21 New York artists or New York members, we kind of talk about them interchangeably. Those are the the main kind of cooperative, we would be considered the board of directors because we're a nonprofit. Uh, So we are the decision-making body. Then we have these other kind of concentric circles of community and we have 21 national members. And so they don't have, they don't vote, but they are part of the community. They live across the country. Um, And then we have six fellows and this is how I joined. This is how I first learned about AIR. So the fellows are in the New York area. There's a cohort each year of six um, underrepresented artists. And so that means you've never had a solo show in a commercial gallery. And you, as a fellow, have a solo show and we have three gallery spaces within our gallery. And so you have a solo show in one of the gallery spaces and you have professional development um, kind of workshops and you're part of the community and you have, we call it a mentor, but it's not really a mentor. It's just a person who's a member, like a New York artist, a New York member, who's kind of your your buddy, (laughs) who helps you understand the, the structure of the organization and everything that's happening helps you be integrated for that year. And then we also have alumna members, we have 27 alumna members who have been associated with AIR in some way. And then they're on our website. They're still like part of that kind of circle of community. 
And then we have currently two adjunct members and they are, they have been a New York member for at least seven years. And then if they decide they don't want, because it's a, it's a fair amount of work to be a part of that kind of core membership. We are on committees. We're doing all of the, not all because we have a couple of staff people, but you're doing a lot of the work of steering the gallery. What do we want to be doing? Um, all of that. So that can be, sometimes you just, you want to take a step back and you could be an adjunct member if you've been a New York member for at least seven years. So there's all these different ways of being in the community. And then we have kind of our broader audience who come to see the exhibitions, who come to programming, who come to, um, you know, we did a lot of online programming during the beginning part of the pandemic. So yeah, that's a little bit of the membership structure because I think it's, it's important and unique to kind of think about all of the ways in which we have these concentric circles of community. And then in terms of media, it's really, it's, it's a pretty broad um, spectrum of ways of working. There are a number of painters um, whose subject matter is quite different. You know, some people are representational, some people are abstract. We have a couple of photographers, um, a couple of sculptors, um, film. And what's really like, I'm a sculptor and I make interactive work. Uh, so like almost bordering on performance um, or social practice. Uh, so we really have a lot of ways of working and that's just, that's just in the New York members and then you know national artists fellows um, adjunct alumni they all also have a diverse range of practices and interests um, so it's it's another kind of interesting kind of thing of like learning oh how are you thinking like what are you thinking about and and what medium is your idea being kind of generated in that, that we really do have a, it's, 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 it's amazing. Sometimes a little challenging because we think so differently, you know, we're really, um, it's a nice way of learning from other artists. And, and I've had many studio visits with other members that have brought up things about my work that I really haven't thought about. And that's allowed, allowed me to grow as an artist. And that, that I would say is one of the biggest reasons that I want to be a part of this community is that it's hard to be an artist in New York City. I mean, I think it's hard to be an artist anywhere. New York City can be particularly brutal. And to have this community where I can talk about art and receive feedback and really feel very supported, like incredibly supported in my practice is amazing, is really so, 
so, so important to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially in New York where art is so saturated here and everyone is just like kind of on defense and individualized, like instead of offering genuine critiques or like resources to support each other it seems very siloed um so yes just be able to be in a space where we're lifting each other up is so integral to like keeping that creative flow going I'm curious how curation of the gallery happens like how do you all decide on what will be shown any given month or like I don't know how how much you rotate. And also, how does that involve the other members that aren't New York members? Do they also get to show in the space? Yeah. So we have a our exhibition schedule, and this is pretty normal for most galleries, is it's kind of scheduled a couple of years out. So we have, we can kind of, I think around three years is usually like how we schedule things. And there might be spaces in that schedule, but the New York artists will have a show in one of the galleries and that kind of the way it's kind of set up now is we have one kind of larger space and then two smaller spaces. And in the larger space, the New York artists will have a show, a rotating show. And then um, the fellows, right, the six fellows each year will have a show in one of the other spaces. And then we might have national members in one of the other spaces or adjunct members, or we have outside exhibitions sometimes. We also have a few kind of open, open call shows where we invite members of the larger community to exhibit. Um, and then we'll have curators there, like curators for each one of those shows. But in terms of the New York members, we can show whatever we want. Uh, we have amazing, we have an amazing executive director, Roxana Fabius, and um, we have an amazing director of exhibition and fellowship, um, Christian Camacho Light, and they are both curators in their own right. And so they offer amazing supportive feedback or not. I'm, you know, just like we'll have studio visits and they'll help. I, I can speak for myself that I had an exhibition at AIR in April and I had several studio visits with Christian and Roxana and they were really helpful in helping me identify what I was trying to do kind of say with the work and therefore what additional pieces I needed to use or make or, you know, how best to display the work because I was showing these wearable pieces. And so how do you show wearable pieces as almost sculpture in the gallery? And, um, but one of the, so that's like very helpful, but what I think you know, one of the many things that makes AIR different and outside of the commercial setting is that you can show whatever you want, that there isn't someone dictating, you know, what they will or won't accept. And um, 
you know, as much as even though we live, we, we are, AIR exists outside of the commercial market. We are, it's, it's impossible to completely like kind of make yourself um, completely outside of the, the culture that exists. So I think there is some desire to sell or to be, you know, to have reviews and all of those things. So that does exist within kind of the individual, what your individual concerns as an artist might be, but the structure of the organization doesn't dictate what you can and cannot show. Hmm. I love that. So they're giving you supportive feedback along this process to like, that I'm sure helps you identify what might be more practical to sell as well. Um, but it's not really dictated by these like art handlers that decide that this is worth this much and this is why it should be in a gallery space. Um, and what are some other member benefits? Uh, that is a huge one that you have the freedom to show what you want. Um, and also that having that community of camaraderie and just overall support. But what are some other things? Especially thinking of what you experienced before joining AIR uh, in your formative years as an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think there's like the, the intangible things, you know, which I've mentioned, like the community. And I, I think... When I was in art school, I felt that I felt even, even if I didn't, you know, like I would, I had friends who supported me and supported my work. Maybe we didn't have quite the language of feedback. Like we were more friends than like artist kind of comrades. <laughs> and after art school moving so I went to art school in London and then I moved back to New York city and I did manage to find some friends who I could really talk to about my work, who would ask helpful questions. I would say AIR has been like, there's something about having to work together that you know, we're all in this thing together to, to kind of guide this organization that whether we always agree or not, we are in this together. And I think that that makes, it makes for like stronger relationships and it makes for a stronger sense of community and that, you know, even when I call someone about some AIR business, I usually at some point it's like, how's your work going? You know, and sometimes it's like, hey, is AIR business getting in the way of you know you making your work? But there is really a sense of like, we are doing this together and we also always know that we are artists, uh, you know, that that is, that is integral. And so that, that does make it, 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 it makes it different somehow for me. Um, and so there's that part. And then there's also like resource sharing, you know, both in terms of time and, you know, if someone, 
if I'm making something, if I'm making a piece of sculpture and I don't know how to do something, I can call someone who I know works in that material there. And, and this is something we've been talking about a lot, like, hey, maybe each one of us can do like a little one hour talk about the thing that we are awesome at and share that with other members and whether that's just the artist, you know, the kind of 21 of us, or if that's open to the public or, you know, so really resource sharing is super important as well. And, um, and there's also one of the benefits I think is that I really have co-ownership over this space. And like, there have been programs that we've run that's, every program that we run is artist-led, that it comes from an idea of one of us. And that's cool. Like where else, there are not many, other places, at least in the commercial world, commercial art world, where you can do that, where you have, you know, the gallery space, I can, I can have any sort of program that I want, as long as nobody else is having a program at that time. Um, we've had group shows in India, we have one upcoming in Poland, because someone had an idea of like, hey, what if we do an exchange with such and such, and it's like, okay, I might need some help with that. Let me, you know, here's two other people who are also interested. Let's figure out how to make that work. And we do. And that's, that's cool. Like that's empowering to know that I not only have stewardship over something that's existed for 50 years, but I really can, along with my 20 other New York members, produce, like do something that I want to do. And that's, that's really empowering. So there's all of that kind of more amorphous stuff. And then there's like, oh, I'm going to have a show every two and a half to three years. And I have a place that I can, if I want to apply for a grant, AIR is a fiscal sponsor. Um, and, you know, curatorial input from Roxana and Christian or outside curators. Um, and then you know, all the programs that are open to the public are also open to, to me as a member. So we have like the unforgettable reading group. Um, yeah, we've had all sorts of like programming during the pandemic. Um, sometimes artists have performances or music or talks associated with their exhibitions. So I have the opportunity to take advantage of all of those as well. Yeah, one of the most special things I find about art cooperatives is um, the spaciousness that you do get to work as an artist. Like you were saying, uh, us being a creator comes first, and usually artists don't even get that capacity to do that because they have to worry about marketing and um and like accounting and all of the things that have to that come with being an art entrepreneur so yeah to know that you don't have to know it all and to have the financial and like skilled support from other people is so important um and one of the programs that I think it's offered to the public that I thought was very interesting was artists as collectors. 
Um, so having artists be the stewards of the art and they decide what's remembered, which is kind of what we were talking about in the sense of like you have control over what you're showing and shifting it from being like art handlers have the power who generally they aren't even even artists to like putting the power and the say in what is valued in artists. So how are the, how can people mm-hmm. access the public programs? Are they in person or virtual? So uh, the artist is collector program is, it's been started by one of our members, Yvonne Short. Um, and then in terms of like our other public programs, it really depends. Like before the pandemic, everything was in, per- in person. Right now, we were closed in January and we made the decision to close in January because of the Omicron surge. So things were you know, online and now we're opening back up. So most things are in person, some things are online. Everything, a good way to know what's happening is Instagram, Facebook, or our website. And, and you can also join our, um, our email mailing list. We don't send out too many emails. <laughs> But you will find out about the exhibitions that are opening, any public programming that's associated with those exhibitions or additional public programming. Um, Yeah, that's the best way to find out about things. Perfect. I'll link to those in the show notes so people can check it out. Yes, please. Um, So into a more uh, cerebral question. Um, Okay. So... (laughs) You know, as we've been talking about art being into like the hands of a few and very elitist, um, you know, art is actually worth more in the U.S. than agriculture and transportation. So obviously it's very market based and um, these larger art institutions are like perpetuating the centralization of this wealth. So how do you see cooperatively owned art galleries shifting this into fair wealth distribution and inclusivity? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think a lot about the, the way in which, I mean, it is, it, is, it is strange to me that art is such a commodity. Uh, it's a... And it's interesting as an artist to think about a part of what I think about is um, in my own practice is like, is where am I kind of buying into that sense of commodity and where am I not? And like, I think I was, I was kind of mentioning this before kind of maybe vaguely referencing it, but I don't live outside a capitalist system and I need to eat and I want to do things that cost money. (laughs) And so I need to earn a living. And would I prefer to use my art to make that living? Or do I, you know, currently I work two part-time jobs and then, you know, have my practice and my AIR work in addition. And so it's a, it's an interesting thing to be in an organization that exists outside of the commercial system in the sense that, you know, 
a commercial art gallery needs to sell work in order to exist. Whereas that's not our funding model and any sales that happen at AIR, you know, almost all of that money goes back to the artist. Some small like administrative fees go to the gallery. That our funding comes from grants and donations and dues. And that's why we're able to exist without needing to sell. And, you know, I was kind of mentioning this before, like, because we don't live outside of a capitalist system, there is still that individual desire to sell, to kind of have greater attention on the work and possibly make your living from your artwork. That there is a, still a few, like a small percentage of people who earn their entire living from their artwork. Um, and I feel like I'm like drifting away from the question. So I'm just trying to pull myself back. Um, I think, so the way in which we kind of, we are, because we are a nonprofit, because AIR is a nonprofit, we are able to redistribute maybe more like resources rather than necessarily money. Um, I mean, obviously if you use AIR as a fiscal sponsor for a grant, you know, they take us, AIR kind of takes a small percentage for administrative fees. So all that money is going to the artists. Uh, the, the fellowship program, for example, is I think a great way that we redistribute uh, resources in that fellows don't pay any dues. They have this show, they're fully integrated into the community. They're offered uh, professional development workshops, which are also open to, you know, New York members to attend. Um, so that's a way in which we're kind of helping artists, you know, in this kind of greater, you know, concentric circle way. Um, I mean, the, you know, in terms of when an artist does sell a work and that most of that money goes to the artist, that is very different from a commercial gallery where it's, I don't know, 50-50 maybe? That a, a, and I think that's often something that people outside of the art world do not know, that the percentage of money that an artist is getting from a sale at a commercial gallery is somewhere between 40 and 60%. Um, so being a part of a cooperative, you know, maybe you're paying a small amount, a, a, you know, some dues to help the organization run, but then you are on the other end taking, bringing home more of that sale than you would in another situation. Um, yeah. It's really helpful in thinking of wealth in different ways too outside of just money um, because you you all are offering a space for people who may not have the may not be valued in a commercial setting because of their race or their gender um, to be able to be in this space so that's a form of wealth to be in community with each other that's another form to have access to shared resources um 
and to have access to fiscal sponsorship. That's another form of wealth. So it's yeah. not just about the money, even though that that is insane too, that artists aren't even necessarily making money um, at commercial galleries and it's highly curated and maybe they don't even get the type of creative freedom that they would in a cooperative setting, which is like another form of wealth too, to have that power of freedom to show what you want and to even be a part of like uh, the whole process um, instead of yeah. it being this very hierarchical system that is telling you what your yeah. value is. But there are people around you that are like, um, you already have the value. How can we just um, encourage that? Yeah, I think it's really... It was an important shift for me to think about wealth as not just money, but it's like all of those other things that you were just talking about. And, and when I sometimes talk to non-art people and I tell them about the struggles of like trying to be in the commercial system, they're just like, why do you do that? <laughs> like that's so hard on every, every single step that you take. It's still like, so hard and so um, hard, maybe hard is not the right word, but it's like, it, 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 some, it sometimes can feel like unwinnable, right? Like you start getting shows, but you're not, maybe you're not selling at the commercial gallery or maybe you are, but you're not making enough. And I have friends who are in situations of like, they're busy and they're having commercial shows. And even when they're selling some things, it's not enough to like get them to be able to quit their jobs. So they're just, and then like, when I think about all of that, all of the hardships or all the obstacles, and then I think about AIR and AIR is not perfect. And we are constantly having, you know, disagreements about <laughs> like, if you get caught up in the day to day, it's like, whew. but then I look at the greater picture and it's like, oh, this is so different. This is so important. And that like, I really have all of these shared resources, all of this wealth, all of this wealth of knowledge and goodwill and, you know, wanting us we each want the other to succeed and want to like fully explore our artistic practice and we can show whatever we want. And we have co-ownership over programs and, you know, any, I almost, almost, almost any idea that I have, you know, I can implement. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. And I'm sure that also, allows for more resilience during times like COVID because um, instead of relying off of selling your work in order to sustain the space financially, there's all these different um, channels that money is coming through. And um, yeah, and so it's not, it's not as fragile. And mm -hmm. uh you touched on a little bit saying that there are some challenges in the day-to-day -day operations. So <laughs> what are maybe one or two of those that are really major? <laughs> I mean, the, 
you know, I, I, some of the most amazing things are also some of the hardest challenges, right? So we have this different ways of working and different backgrounds. And, you know, we're always trying to have more diversity, more inclusivity in terms of who is in our particular, like in all levels of our community and particularly in that kind of core New York artist membership. And that just, the many voices <laughs> can be challenging. It can be, you know, like I sometimes would like everyone to agree with me. <laughs> and that would make my life much easier if everyone agreed with me. Um, you know, so we have like monthly meetings and we're coming up with ideas and it's like, well, I don't like that. And what about this? And how about what if we changed it like that? And so there's lots of conversation and in the end that does make things better because we're really thinking through different ideas and different ways of working and different backgrounds. And like the ideas that we come up with are hopefully stronger because of that time, but the time is frustrating, right? Things move very slowly at AIR because we want to have as close to consensus as possible. You know, we are not a consensus organization. We are a majority organization as in like decisions are made through majorities. And if we have to be in community together, if we're only passing things through like slim majorities, that's not great. That doesn't lead to good feelings. If people feel like ideas and and um, you know decisions are made through a very slim majority, so we try to get as close to consensus as possible, um, and that slowness can be frustrating when it's like you're you know, it's like, this is my baby. And I feel so excited about this idea in this direction. And you're like, we're going to do it tomorrow. And then like a year later, we're still, you know, sometimes two years later, we're still talking about the same thing. And so, you know, I, I think that it's interesting because on, on the one hand, we, because we're a small organization, we can be very flexible and like agile. And I think this was very, very evident during COVID, like in that kind of March, April, 2020, you know, we changed so many things and really like we added more programming and we were doing so much. And so that like, there is that agility and flexibility. And then there's also this like slowness. <laughs> Yes, I'm sure you learn so much through that slowness about yourself and the people you're working with, too. Um, and also, I'm sure working with artists with various opinions can get really sensitive, too, because artists are sensitive about their creative ideas. <laughs> it's like, I've this is something that I just want to birth, and this gestation period is too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I realize that I am more type A than I would like to admit about myself. <laughs> and, and this is something I've had conversations with, you know, some of the other members and some of the staff is like that, that we can prioritize that kind of way of doing things. And that's not how all of our members are. 
And so how do we hold space for people who are slower and more thoughtful and like, you know, maybe aren't going to speak up at a meeting of 21 people, but they have thoughts and they have ideas. And it's important to, you know, it's important for me in my own kind of individual work to think, yeah, this is not the only way of doing things. And like, how do I, how do I not like stifle myself, but also how do I create space for other ways of, of doing things? And as we, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about inclusivity and like that, you know, as we bring in more members, as we, you know, think about membership in the future, how do we make sure we're holding space for different ways, different, you know, different backgrounds, different race, different age, different um, cultures, and within that different styles of working, different styles of speaking. And that's so important. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that kind of leads into my other question about the power that art has to shift and uplift culture but also maintain the existing culture of capitalism like what we were talking about of it being very market-based um and I wanted to know what role you see AIR playing in shifting from the dominant and uplifting something more regenerative and you spoke a lot about that in terms of like how do we broaden the spectrum of artists that we have in our membership and um, yeah, just creating a network of support and appreciating the opinions of people that uh, are underrepresented and sometimes undervalued. So yeah, if you have anything else to add to that and how, what role you see AIR playing, please add. Yeah. Um, you know, in addition to what I said before, I also, your question kind of made me think of some of our group exhibitions, like our, um, the kind of open calls. And so we've done a couple of exhibitions on abortion and reproductive rights. You know, the, the one that's just opening, actually, it's just opening next week is on identity politics. And so I think that there's not just like who are the members, but also like who are the curators that we're bringing in and what kind of shows do they want to have in these group shows? And it really is a place that we want to talk about things and we want to talk about, you know, maybe what's imperfect about AIR as well, that, that, it, that we are not including ourselves from that conversation. Uh, and so where can we grow and change? And, um, you know, that's not always comfortable and it's important. Yes, that is what art is really about is like having, allowing people to have the opportunity to really question things, to question the status quo, to question just like, um, what narratives have been dominant in our culture. And I love that you guys are not only trying to embody it, but also like exhibiting it in the art gallery. So how do you envision the future world of art? (laughs) 
That is a that is a very big question. <laughs> that is a very big question. I mean, I I I don't I don't know. Um, you know, I, I guess I could answer it from a number of different points of view. I think as a kind of representative of AIR, which is what I'm in this interview, you know, and in that capacity, I think, you know, we're, we're having our 50th anniversary, I guess this, this season, this season, next season, it's, you know, 1972, 2022. And so we are thinking a lot about like, you know, that 50 years and then maybe not like 50 years in the future, but where are we going? What are, what's, what is the direction? What is the path that we are leading right now? And it's like, how do we serve more artists? And how do we continue to think about, again, like more diverse artists um, being a more inclusive space? I often think about like, what does it mean to be a feminist um, cooperative artist run space? What is it like, particularly that word feminism? You know, it's not, that's not an, it's not an easy word. And I, there isn't, there's no, there's no like one definition. Sometimes I think about feminisms. Um, and where are we like not living up to that ideal? And, and how do we, how do we be more inclusive, more inclusive across like that real like intersectional spectrum and that I think is is the the future of at least AIR that I would like to see that you know we think about what does it mean to be a member how do we how do we support each other more how do we support each other more how do we like can, can there be like more joy in the uplift um and you know, continue to be a space where people in New York City and beyond like look to as um, an exciting art space, a space where they feel welcome, um, a space for where they feel welcome to contribute. If I were to really, I mean, this isn't really like how I envision the future of AIR, but what I hope is that we have a permanent, like a per, we own, the space that we inhabit, because there is something about, you know, real estate in New York City is precarious. And to own our own building or our own space means that we are not going anywhere. And that is, that is really what I, I, I hope for is that there is a permanence, there's a permanence in, in the existence of AIR, but what that looks like What's nice about AIR is, and we were talking about this before, um, before we started recording, is that sense of like history and present and future. And like what's important about looking back at the history is the values, not necessarily like every single, you know, moment or decision. It's like, what are the values that AIR was founded on? And that the physical physicalization of those values is going to change depending upon the world in which it exists in. And, you know, yes, it's like 
a little shelter in the storm, but that shelter is not completely walled off from the rest of the world. And that can be good and that can be bad. And, you know, that's everything in between. And when I think to the future, I think about how do we continue to to live in those values and expand those values? And, you know, younger artists are going to come in, other artists are going to come in and they're going to have their ideas and that's awesome. And how do I also let go of, you know, control of the, that physicalization of those values, right? I'm president of the board right now, but I will not always be. And that's great. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think that that is so, those questions are so important. And I wish every art institution was thinking about that. Like, how can we be more inclusive? How can we actually offer more resources to artists instead of like taking it away from them? Um, And I'm also curious, like, what, what are their board meetings like? What values are, (laughs) what values are they rooted in? And what type of, what's their accountability metrics? And yeah, all of those things are so integral. And I love that you guys have a member that was there from 1972. So you can just be reminded of those values, but also be fluid and adaptive to, like you said, our time. Um, So thank you so much. I felt like what you said is applicable across the board in the art world of how the future of it should be. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. This was so wonderful. Mm. I have to come visit AIR. Yes, please. What part of Brooklyn is it in? We're in Dumbo. um, Our address is 155 Plymouth Street. So we're right down by the water. We are having um, our next kind of round of exhibitions is opening next Saturday. So February 12th, we're open Wednesday through Sunday, (laughs) 12 to six. So you or any of the listeners should come down. Uh, Yeah, our Instagram, our Facebook, or our website are good places to see what's happening. This podcast runs off of labors of love. There are many ways you can be in reciprocity with us. If you are or know of a collective model that aligns, let's connect so we can spotlight the story. Share episodes, especially with your friends and family who aren't aware of collective models but are unfulfilled with this economy. You can also visit our Open Collective Foundation page in the show notes for ways to gift us in time or money. With your support, we can continue archiving the stories that aren't being elevated but are necessary for our collective